tapes are rolling. Uh, I'm going to count us down mm-hmm. in three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. This is the retrospective that's introspective. I am Tari J. And I am Lex Michael. And we're joined by a special guest today. Lucretia Lyon. Yeah. Dope, 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 dope. Welcome to the show. This is a very auspicious occasion. Our first guest ever. That's true. Uh, And Lucretia has brought us a wonderful movie. before we talk about that, we should get all the housekeeping out of the way. For sure. So uh, while you're here, make sure to subscribe so you can get this in your feed every week. And also, uh, so you know what is happening in the Missing Out world, hit us up on social media. Uh, the main account on Twitter is Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G. O-U-T. C-A-S-T. We got uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm real bad at spelling. You weren't um, a cheerleader? <laughs> nope. Not at all. But you can also hit us up on our personal Twitters and other social media. Uh, mine is Tari J. And I am on all the social media stuff at the Lex Michael. And where can they find you? I am at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N. Anywhere on the internet since there is only one. See, that was nice and polished. It mm. was. Damn. I, it's like I do this a lot. Do, do you want to take my place? You yeah. Wanna, all right. You know, now nah, well. it's just missing out on Tari Miller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes. So, you, uh, Lucretia, mm-hmm. uh, brought in to us Friday the 13th, number six, Jason Lives, uh, which was created in 1986, which was the year I was born. Oh. Um, and uh, yes, it was directed by a man. It was uh, directed <laughs> by a man. I, didn't, I definitely As didn't write it down. Mr. Mr. Yes, McLaughlin. Tom, yeah, Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> but yeah, it was also written by him as well. And the funniest thing about this movie is this is probably the most Friday the 13th of the Friday the 13th fan- franchise, which is funny considering it's number six. It is interesting, right? Yeah. It seems to exist in this perfect nexus point between what the series was up to that point and what the series would gradually become past that point. Because, right, I mean, you, I think you are uh, probably a bigger fan of the series as a whole than I am, though. I've seen all of them now. Uh, a lot of people suggest that maybe number four. Yeah, four uh, would final be my chapter. second favorite. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. posit that that is maybe the like platonic ideal of what uh, a quote unquote pure Friday the Thirteenth movie is. But now, right with with Jason Lives, we're taking a pivot away from being a straight horror movie, and we're leaning real heavily into the jokety jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Is this one there was sort of a transitional shift, and it was designed to sort of come in as like a new beginning and that's why you'll see like the the seventh one was like new blood and they kind of and then after that they were sold out to new line cinemas and they couldn't even use the friday the 13th name so it was jason takes manhattan jason goes to hell jason goes to camp oh wait that's all of them that's all (laughs) to the best of my knowledge even though almost every single one of these movies takes place in and around the camp crystal lake grounds I believe this is the only one where young campers are actually present. That yes, is true. it is. And that's one of the interesting things about this. And that's the funny thing is a lot of people will put together what they think of when they think of Jason. And you think of the hockey mask, which does not even come in until part three. Right, because um, before that, I mean, okay, so let's go no. back to the beginning, right? In the original yeah. Friday the 13th, the backstory is that the little boy drowned and now years later all of these counselors are being murdered and it's like well what happened did like the little boy who drowned is he coming back and doing murdery stuff because he's not happy to have drowned like you wouldn't be but no of course uh, spoilers for a, a horror movie that's how many decades old now yeah. uh, the original killer is of course Jason's mother Mrs. Voorhees and at the end of the first movie, as the killers in these movies tend to be, she is dispatched. And then from number two forward, Jason is your primary antagonist. But but Lucretia, as you were alluding to, Taki Mask doesn't show up. The Probably the biggest 
piece of Friday the 13th iconography doesn't show up till part three. And in part two, he's walking around with like a bag on his head. Yeah, it's like a potato sack. Yeah. 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 And that was interesting. And you'll see that occasionally. But yeah, most people associate probably more part four because Jason is where he meets Tommy, who's part of this movie. And then so there was at least a child protagonist in that one. And it's Corey Feldman in that movie. Exactly. There have been there there were three three movies with Tommy Jarvis, which is basically he's like the only real recurring protagonist of the series. So he's the closest that you have in the series to like Jason having an arch nemesis. But it's three different actors in three movies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes. And and the reason for that is like Corey, I mean, these were made like pretty like the next year. So they wanted to do an older Tommy. So they obviously didn't want to ask Corey Feldman back, you know, because they wanted to give He some does time. in like part five, like up top in part five. Isn't there like a flashback yeah, of some kind flashback. where they, he's got a little tiny appearance in it? Yeah. And then the Tommy that was in part five, which part five is one that if you're going to skip any of them, skip this. Well, it, that's the one. It's, yeah. it's very, it's lambasted by fans because it doesn't feature real Jason. It yeah. features somebody. Jason's, for, for all intents and purposes, is dead while number five is happening. And you have another character who put on Jason's mask and copies his MO to, you know, spook people into thinking like, I don't know who's killing people. It must be that crazy Jason Voorhees again. Look, hockey mask. Ah! Um, but then, right, it's been a while since I've seen part five. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, don't they allude pretty heavily to the possibility at the end that Tommy has completely cracked and now might become the next serial killer, which they completely abandon in this movie? Yeah, and that's sort of the thing, is that's why part five is a very transitional one, kind of like Halloween three was, where it was very separate and it's not really in continuity. Not like there's a lot of continuity in this franchise well, at with, all. With Halloween yeah. specifically, right? It's like yeah. one and two yeah. are, are, go together. And then three is its own animal completely. And then four through six are like four and five are directly connected. Six is loosely connected to four and five through the presence of the Jamie character. But they, they reference yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, but there's no like direct overlap. And then you get to seven H two O, and it's like, no, 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 the last three didn't happen. Then you get to resurrection, and it's like, yeah, we're you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is here again, but other than that, it doesn't really matter all that much. And now, and th- now we the got, new one, and they're yeah, just like, like we're ignoring nope. all of them, but one, I think. Yeah, they're like, this one happens directly after one, or maybe one and two are in con- continuity. I can't remember d- which one, but yeah, yeah no definitely idea. nothing after two. Yeah. And I was trying to look up the actor who played Tommy in the fifth one, but apparently they at least wanted him back and were going to continue, but he converted to Christianity. He he became evangelical and didn't come back. Yeah. And then then Tommy was recast. And I really thought that this guy was at least believable and, you know, seemed like a, you know, an older Corey Feldman. This seemed like a better fit than the other guy as well in the fifth one. His name was Tom Matthews, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. Tom uh, Tom Matthews. And I believe he, his his biggest credit before this, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Return of the Living Dead, I believe. And it was, I think, his... uh, Actually, I was going to say, I think it was his, maybe his uh, horror slash comedic chops that, that got people interested in bringing him on. But I actually think I read somewhere that McLaughlin didn't even know about it till after the fact. Know about... Know yeah, about his, yeah, his in, previous uh, work. Yeah, the um, the Living Dead movies. Those are so funny. Like, And that's the thing is he winds up coming into like the third one of those as well. And that was the thing is this character was really funny. But yeah, as you say... Tom had no idea that that was even his previous work. He just liked him. And as I say, he kind of looks like an older Corey Feldman. He does. And I honestly, I think, too, the fact that he's able to portray genuine terror while at the same time putting a spin on it that is somewhat uh, heightened in a comedic way, but not... um it, it doesn't veer too far off the mark that it's like, well, this is not total nonsense. Uh-huh. It's like, and don't get me wrong the whole movie is total nonsense in the best possible way, but you actually believe his performance uh, through both prisms, that of horror and that of comedy. Yeah. And that's the thing. And like him calling out Jason and stuff, that's what an older guy would do. And you know, like, Oh, you're a pussy. I remember actually my brother got in trouble in like first grade for calling a kid that. And he's like, where'd you hear that? Fred of the 13th. (laughs) Can I ask a, a canonical question? Um, has the idea of Jason having going back to Crystal Lake 
be is that being his weakness has that always been a thing i have to give context mm-hmm. in that this is literally my first friday the 13th oh really oh, wow. yes. yeah okay so uh, uh, tell me if i'm wrong but i believe that was something they manufactured for this one and i'm honestly not sure if that's something they ever went back to is it yeah and that's the thing is this um now in the seventh one he's still um at crystal lake Right. But then he, Jason. It, then when it goes to New Line, there is no mention of Crystal Lake. I mean, other than him passing. That's right. It took things. a while yeah. for them to start folding some of that stuff back in. Yeah, but this one would be, as I say, it's the quintessential like this is where it is. You know, this is what people know. But yeah, that's not even consistent throughout the rest of the franchise. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I have another weird question. What was the deal with those two kids? Which two kids? The two kids who were basically just like a peanut gallery of things. Are you talking about like one of the like the little blonde girl who at one point was reading uh, No Exit in bed yeah. for some reason? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Well, Real deep reading for a child. Well, yeah. of course. Um, well, no, the there was the the blonde guy and the brown haired guy, and so when Court was teaching them about the Native American rock <sighs> statues. They're like, this is going to be a long camp session. And then later, uh, uh, it was the kid who was like, what do you think? And the other one's like, we're dead meat. And he basically like looks in the camera. Yeah. Well, there's, like, a, yeah. Lot yeah, there's there are, a lot of breaking the fourth wall in this the, one. The, yeah. the gravedigger guy yeah. at one point who's basically, cha- not chastising, but basically commenting on how weird it is that the audience wants this type of thing and literally says, why'd they have to go and dig up Jason and then looks right in the camera and is like, some people have a strange idea of what of entertainment. Yeah, right. some folks have a strange idea of entertainment. I actually wanted that for the horror show um, at After Buzz, like uh, before everything, but we couldn't figure out how to do that. And I'm like, no, this is like, this is the most, like that is my favorite moment in the movie because he's like, you're all a bunch of sick bastards who watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a ton of, and again, this was totally new ground for this series. There's a ton of really yeah. winking meta yeah. stuff. I mean, we the opening sequence is there. You've got a number of meta things happening. You've got this weird Frankenstein thing going on mm-hmm. where. And not for nothing, if Tommy had just let it go, yeah. if he wasn't so hell-bent on going and digging up Jason to what? Confirm that he's dead, I guess. But if he hadn't like l- done that, if he hadn't lost it and put that metal rod through him, then lightning would not revive the thing like it was Frankenstein's creature. And right. then we wouldn't have... Now, granted, that's why he does it. If he doesn't do it, we don't have a movie. Also, yeah. the 80s was obsessed with lightning bringing things to life. So like they had to do something with it. Yeah. Right. So you've got the you've got the whole Frankenstein element of it and then of course when Jason dispatches uh Tommy's buddy and Tommy escapes, we end the opening sequence like our cold open with um my favorite thing. And I don't necessarily mean in the movie. I it may in fact have jumped to the top of my list of favorite things that there are. Uh-huh. We zoom into Jason's eye and we get this recreation of the James Bond gun barrel opening. Yes. Except he just turns exactly the way Bond would turn and shoot down the gun barrel. He just turns and slashes the machete. It's sublime. Yes. And that is actually one of my favorite moments of this as well. Like the gravedigger, some folks have a strange idea of entertainment. Like breaking the fourth wall, just calling us out. And then the the James Bond moment because it's like, you clever bastard. When it's an awareness <laughs> and it's awareness and it's commenting on the fact that other pop culture <clears throat> exists in a way that the franchise hadn't really done up to that point. You have a, a scene later where the, the one girl in the car they see Jason and he's just, she's just like, I've seen enough horror movies to know if there's a creepy guy in a mask. That's always bad news. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you didn't hear that. Op- now, of course, every other horror movie is crazy. Since Scream, every other horror movie is crazy meta. And every other horror movie comments very directly on the genre it's a part of. But I feel like you definitely weren't seeing that as much at the time. And fun fact about Scream, Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and later like Vampire Diaries and a lot of big stuff, was inspired by this movie. Scream actually, one of the many, he said that this particular movie, Jason Lives, Friday 13th Part 6 of all things, is what inspired him to write Scream. Huh. Yeah. I did not know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Because it it is very similar in the tone and the nods and the winks and the, yeah. Yeah, and obviously like Scream doesn't play at all as broadly and as uh, goofily, but yeah, I actually can see like the the DNA of Scream being a slightly more evolved version of the DNA that we see in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, so we didn't have one thing that I think is worth uh, commenting on before we get too much further into the meat of the movie is that, yeah, like, Lucretia, what you were saying is this was a little bit of a new beginning for the series, even though it was seven where they it's called The New Blood. Yeah. So we didn't have, we have the, the indicator of new Because they in Tommy's story in this one. like, right. And that's sort of the reason why is Tommy was like the protagonist, even if you don't count five and four. And, it can, you know, right, it includes yeah. a bit of a loose trilogy, but because yeah. five didn't include real Jason and because that was such a point of contention among so much of the fan base, when they brought McLaughlin on to make this movie, they the one mandate they gave him, they're like, you could basically do whatever you want to do with this, but the only thing that we absolutely require is that you bring Jason back from the dead and make him the primary antagonist again. And two, the way that they did it, like you say, it was just a thing in the 80s. It's All so the lightning. Si- it and makes then no it, sense, but it doesn't have to. Well, it at least made sense in the context of the movies going on right then. It was like, okay, how can we bring him back? Lightning. Well, it's basically, too, this was the first time they really decided, because uh, two through four, you could go with the idea that, well, maybe Jason Voorhees somehow survived, either survived the the drowning or maybe never really drowned, was just perceived to have drowned, and he's he's still the same guy, never having died. Yeah, more like a hills have eyes, like kind of hillbilly character. But this is the first movie in the series where they're just like, nah, he's magic. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he was always magic. Mm -hmm. I I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Again, this being my first, um, I liked that he was basically just like a kill machine. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I, I assume, yeah, like last week or the week before last, I don't remember, we were talking about different horror people having like very sympathetic backstories. It was when we talked about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre right. and how Leatherface... Uh, contrary to what you might expect if you've never seen the movie, displays so much more humanity uh, that and humanity that directly informs of the more brutal things that he does in a way that, say, a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees do not necessarily exhibit. But I feel like you maybe had more of that earlier in the series because you could make the inference that he was devastated over the loss of his mother. Right. And he's doing all of this for her, which is, you know, not healthy, but you can track it. Yeah. In a way that now it's basically like, no, exactly, Tari, like what you're saying. He's basically just a kill bot now. Yeah. Right. And two, one of the implications would be Jason would never harm children. And while that's still true throughout the franchise, you don't really see it displayed. This is actually one of the few where he's in a thing, you know, a room full of children and doesn't harm them. Well, there's yeah. the one the one girl that's praying yeah. and he walks past her. And the implication maybe it's like, well, the prayer, prayer yeah. is insulating yeah. her from the violence. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. <laughs> Which is an interesting stance for a for a, a movie, especially in this series, to take. I feel like a, a more expected Friday the Thirteenth move would be to have a character, maybe a religious character, who's maybe just the slightest bit sleazy, and who assumes like, "Well, I've got the power of prayer will protect me," and Jason will be like, "Not so fast, my dude," and we'll kill him. Um, but what? no, the the prayer actually. This is weirdly, um, certainly not a not a chased or or sanitized movie but also is no worthy for being the only to my knowledge the only friday the 13th movie that does not include nudity there is one sex yeah. scene but they're they're mostly clothed yeah so i feel like it's interesting that yeah we've got the prayer and we've got the the no uh exposed lady parts mm-hmm. yeah though, no gratuitous nudity or anything yeah though there were two weird close-ups of a lady crotch uh, sure. Oh yeah. You, did you love the the all of the jokes? Uh, this is gonna be a real hairy turn. Oh. Uh, so I guess they split the yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. a little yeah. bit. Um, and uh, speaking of that sex scene, um, is are are all the sex scenes in Friday the Thirteenth set to music? Are all of them uh, weird? Not I don't as think, weird eighties yeah. as this one, but yeah. There's there's a, there's a range. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um. Yeah. Also, a ten-minute song seems like a long song. Oh, yeah. we've got to talk. We'll talk about some of the songs in this because, like, they use they use uh, a couple of different Alice Cooper tracks. Oh yes, because Alice Cooper actually produced the soundtrack, and so there are three different ones that were part of it, and so including me, the theme. Let yeah. me ask you, real uh, digression, yeah. real yeah. quick. Yeah. The end credit song, "Man Behind the Mask." Yes. <sighs> Is it intentionally like over the top, ridiculous, terrible? 
Because um, if it is, I love it. <laughs> yes. That is kind of Alice Cooper's thing. I don't know if you're very familiar with his repertoire. You probably well, I know I know plenty yeah. of his tracks, yeah. but I also know that a lot of his tracks, it's, you know, it's very goofy. It's it's mm. very like glam arena rock type stuff. That is, And I don't mean that in like uh, uh, to impugn it at yeah. all, but a lot of it, a lot of the Cooper tracks that I've heard seem a little bit more uh, refined. Then Man Behind the Mask? No. Or is it Man in the Mask? And it's he's back in parentheses, Man Behind the Mask. Behind the Mask. Okay. It just seems like the lyrics are so all over the place and so ridiculous. And they almost. With your girl. Yeah, the lyrics barely even cohere with themselves (laughs) in in a. Forget a verse, line to line. It's just like, yeah. Like, so I didn't know how intentional it was. Like, did he just write a song that isn't great? Or did he write a song and it's just like, let's. Let's just make this as ridiculous as the gun barrel part of this movie. Yeah, I felt like this sort of was in right tone with the movie. It and, absolutely and, was. And, that, and I think that was the intention. Because Alice is not, I don't ever want to feel like this is blasphemy. He's not the be- He's not a true resident. He's not the best songwriter. But when he would write, you know, like, Welcome to My Nightmare, a lot of these things, there is a camp to him. It's about a show, and these usually go along with stuff, because um, I've been to many of his shows. They typically go with a theatrical act, so I always see this more as like a musical song, and that's what this was, is this was to go along with the theme of the movie, and, you know, not going to be the best song. No, but it's so, it is, you're right, so, so fitting. It's like, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, if you're familiar with Alice Cooper, Think about the tone that we're describing. Think about Alice Cooper's sound, and then think about if his whole uh, if his whole impetus here was let's make the most '80s, over the top, ridiculous, barely sensical ballad that we can to slap on this movie. And it is it is genuinely hilarious if you view it through the prism of this is on purpose. And if you think that's hilarious, my brother for the first and second grade talent show at our very conservative Tyler, Texas elementary school did this song for them. And it was so adorable. Yeah. <laughs> he had his little guitar. Oh, that actually sounds really funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I was jumping back over to the movie. Uh, they shot this, I believe in uh, Covington, Georgia in and around Covington, mm-hmm. Georgia. And there were two, Jasons on this movie. Uh, first one was replaced fairly early on in production, I believe, and I can't, to be honest, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but most of the Jason stuff was uh, C.J. Graham, who was an area restaurant manager and a former soldier. Yeah. And what I kept finding really amusing about the Jason in this movie is that he's, you know, he's not a small guy. He's like six foot, 200 something pounds, but compared to the Jason of later movies, who like, especially once you get to like, uh, Jason X and, uh, Freddy versus Jason, uh, Jason's huge. Mm -hmm. Like Jason's a mountain of a dude. So comparatively, this Jason just looks like a guy. (laughs) He's just like a guy walking around with a machete. And two, this was like, the one just before Kane Hunter comes in and pretty well plays Jason up until a point. And like, Ken, Ken yeah. Kurtzinger, I think, came yeah. in after that for a minute. And then it's Derek Mears in the reboot, Yeah, Derek right? Mears yeah. is the one in the reboot. Yeah. Um, b- 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 and then Kurtzinger, I'm trying to think, he was in one kind of in the middle. Like I it was Kane. Was, H- I thought it was him in Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that was it. Um, because yeah. I remember it coming out, and I remember some of the fandom being like, "Wait, how? How do you? How are you not going to put Kane Hodder in this?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I just think it's funny that this Jason, compared to say that Jason, looks pretty skinny. Yeah, even though is, he's not. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because the other J- the other guy who played Jason in this movie was replaced because he was too bulky. And so they were like, we need to get someone who's more like streamlined. And so he just looks like a guy. Right. So he looks like he might as well be your gardener. You know what I mean? He's just like walking around with some utensils. Yeah. Though it tracks because you would imagine that he's mostly bones under there being dead for this long. Right. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't, if he was like a big muscle beef guy coming yeah. at straight out the grave, you'd be like, what did that guy eat? I'd want to get some of them whey proteins. I feel mm. like it's, but like that's the line, right? It's like, I'll totally buy the electricity bringing this dude back to life. But if he's looks like, if he's jacked, that's a bridge too far. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy the lightning before I buy that this dude hit the gym. <laughs> yeah, because most of his padding is just maggots, right? It's, yeah. it's just I like will say the imagery at the, in the opening of oh, the movie yeah. of the maggots dropping off him is really uh, distressing, but 
in a way that I, I liked. Well, and too, I like that they pause and just sort of like take in that moment of this is just a straight up dead guy with maggots ripping off of him because it started raining. And, and I like that little element to it. And it's interesting to see too, like this Jason, a lot of Jasons are, you know, they're this big like hulking behemoth. They are totally the kill machine and you almost don't see them processing any thoughts. But because once or twice in this movie, you actually see, you see Jason processing a thought. It's interesting to key into like what, gets his attention and what he doesn't seem to care about at all like the maggots don't even register to him mm-hmm. he's just like whatever but there's this wonderful moment later in the movie where he rips the paintball guy's arm off yeah. and it seems like even Jason is a little bit surprised that he was able to rip the arm off with such ease and he looks he holds up the arm and he looks at it like hmm <laughs> and so watch that moment and then try and compare it to other moments where he is or is not reacting I think it's 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 fun yeah, there are also a couple weird things that he does. Like, there's this moment when, um, n- not Nancy, Megan, Megan goes to the cop car to use the radio, and he had just cons- inconspicuously, conspicuously, uh, oddly placed the head of Sissy on the seat, like, for no reason. Yeah, like, I never, that's the one part in the movie that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That's the one part that I'm like, <laughs> Everything else tracks, at but least like, in this continuity. My, my headcanon yeah. is, at one point, Jason's like walking around with the head, and he sticks his head around a tree, and he looks around like in every direction, going like, hmm, hmm, mm-hmm, and then just runs up like real quick, and he doesn't let anyone see him run, because that's not scary, no. Uh, no. but he just runs up to the cop car, opens the door, leaves the head, and then real quietly runs away, going like, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> and then just like goes back to the same tree and is just like poking his head out and watching the cop car. And then she's she's coming back to the car and he's sitting there going like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she opens the door, sees it, screams, and he's like, ha, ha, yes. I got her. <laughs> Jason was actually Nailed a real prankster. It. It's like, hey, Seth Green, you can use this for robot chicken. We just gave you some material. <laughs> I guess, I mean, thinking of him as a camp kid, I, I guess you might equate everything he does to being like a camp prank. I will say this whole series, I think, takes on a whole new life for me. Maybe even becomes infinitely more enjoyable if I imagine that Jason's killing all these people because he thinks it's funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, ha yeah. slash, ha you're dead. <laughs> just like that. Right. But the only way you can see it is if you zoom into his eye. Yeah. And there's a littler Jason inside. Well, in every it's the the gun barrel Jason in his eye. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's like it's like Men in Black. You guys have seen yeah. Men in Black, right? No. It's like yes. where stop this. It's the, the, <laughs> this, where the dude's face comes off and you realize his whole body's a ship and it's got the little alien in the head driving. The little Jason that we see in his eye is actually the Jason that's driving. And Ooh. then the the full body Jason is more like a Jaeger. It's like Pacific Rim. Yes. Yes. And like Jason is drift compatible with himself. Of course. <laughs> yes. Though I'd like to imagine that in a like Pickle Rick style, yes. all of the controls inside are made of like maggots and worms. Yes. <laughs> it's just like. Yes. Pickle yep. Jason. I'll <laughs> <laughs> pickle Jason. Can you imagine like as deeply terrifying as I'm sure it would be if you looked across a field and you saw a guy dressed like Jason Voorhees just walking, not running, just walking towards you with purpose. As unsettling as that would be, imagine it's a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it hopping. Like, you know what I mean? It's just just making a straight line towards mm-hmm. you. It's not, doesn't seem like it's worried too much about exerting itself. That, by the way, I feel like is always, and you see uh, uh, Jason and Michael Myers both do this. When they're, for the most part, there are exceptions. I think even in this movie, Jason picks up his pace as he's walking a little bit occasionally. But for the most part, they just very casually walk after you. And, I, you know, you could be an audience member watching and go, oh, but like, you just run away. Mm-hmm. It's like, you just run. Like, he's just, he's barely moving. But, of course, if you've seen these movies, you know they always end up catching up to their intended prey. Right. And that makes it so much more unsettling is they don't even feel the need to power walk. They are that confident that they're going to kill you. Yeah. Like, you go wherever you want. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. I've always imagined it being like a, a Doctor Who weeping angels thing. Or, uh, I guess, for a wider audience, the booze from Mario, where, oh. like... 
they can use super fast speed if they're if you're not looking at them but the moment you look is the moment they have to start walking and so it's like a your your gaze is like mud to them and it just slows them down well they they played with this idea in um the first scary movie Mm-hmm. Where uh, Anna Ferris is in class and she looks out the window and she sees their version of Ghostface standing next to a tree. Mm-hmm. And then she looks down for a second and as she looks down, it cuts back outside and you see him turn and just like run behind the tree. And then she looks back and he's gone. I love scary movie. It's great. Mm. One and two. I know people get people malign two. I, I think, like two. I think yeah. three even has its moments. Yeah, three yeah. has some good moments. Uh, and actually, even four has this amazing. They're doing the War of the Worlds thing, and they've got a scene that's that's uh, riffing on the the Tim Robbins basement scene from that movie, except it's Michael Madsen, and he's got this line about uh, it's like a war against the aliens. It'd be like a war between men and ants, or something like men and dragons, or like wolves and maggots, or men riding dragons throwing wolves at maggots <laughs> like this line is amazing i am in no way mad that i paid for a ticket to this worth it worth full price just to hear madsen's delivery of that line nice. i love him um so lucretia out of all the horror movies you could have recommended you chose this one why is it your i guess why was it why is it your favorite over all the others to me this one is not necessarily my favorite because as i say i mean i if I just went and like favorite, I would probably pick like Evil Dead and, you know, that franchise or, you know, Reanimator as far as the stuff that I enjoy. But this is something that is sort of more a thing that me and my brother share that a lot of people haven't seen. And there's a lot of goofy little references that I make that I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's kind of a good way to sort of transition into seeing the rest of the Friday the 13th when most people, you know, are used to like more of the campy horror, which is what I like. I'm like, this is actually a... Kind of both, like Evil Dead too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It does. It straddles that line really well. And like we were saying before, it does feel like a really excellent middle ground between the the more st- uh, playing it more straight as the franchise had done up to that point, and then uh, then finally just going for broke in the direction of sheer campy goofiness to the point where by the time we get four movies down the road from this one, Homeboys in Space. Yeah. He's, he gets like space armor, basically. He's got like this crazy <laughs> space mask where he somehow looks even angrier than he does in the hockey mask. Mm-hmm. And Jason X is also another good watch. Well, well. and two, like uh, uh, Jason Goes to Hell is number nine. Yeah. And that one, Jason is a presence, but he's not even in that much of it because he's like a body hopping thing, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Jason Goes to Hell is really interesting because it is like a body hopping, but there is still the Jason element there. But what happens is Jason is... Uh, caught in the beginning and then explodes That's and right. then Jason's uh, people eat Jason's heart That's and like right. it just I gets really that. weird um, but it like it's a great movie too it's it's funny and it, that actually was what set up Freddy versus Jason yes but because the ending of they that movie yeah because the ending of that movie you see like right it's like a there's some sand around Jason's mask and it's blowing off and the mask is revealed and then Freddy's claw pops up and grabs the mask and pulls it down and you hear Freddy laughing and it's like oh they're gonna they're gonna fight each other and they they do eventually but speaking of apparently the plan was to try and put Freddy and Jason together after this movie and it didn't work out for a number of different reasons. And I think that's part of why they basically have him fight Carrie in number seven. Yes. They don't actually explicitly reference the fact that that's what it's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but it's pretty clear that that's what they're riffing on. And in large part, apparently because the planned Freddy Jason team up slash versus movie did not pan out at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting that they just kept on. And they, they of course, you know, it was maybe 10 years uh, from Jason Goes to Hell where they sort of set it up to until we got. Freddy vs. Jason was what, 03? Yes. Yeah. Something like that? Totally. Yeah. yeah. That sounds I, right. Yep, totally. If I mean, if it's not, people will hit us up. Yep, you are I, correct. I nailed yeah. it. And wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't uh, Jason Goes to Hell 93? <clears throat> yes. So it was. Okay, so it was exactly 10 Yeah, years. I was like, whoa, I was like on the mark. Um, I'm actually really surprised <laughs> cool. that I called that one. Um, yeah, so that was, that was supposed to happen earlier and did not. And there are a couple of really interesting things that are associated with Jason Lives, things that almost happened and didn't. Like, are you familiar with what the last scene of the movie was supposed to be? Be or one of the original endings where they were going to introduce the character of Jason's father yes. into the mythology. Mm-hmm. And then I think the studio 
put the kibosh on that because they didn't want to be saddled with the obligation of then explaining all of the dad's backstory in the next inevitable sequel. But yeah, it's a piece of this mythology or an intended piece of this mythology that has not come back since. Well, because then it would make Jason a whole character and understand. It's like with Freddy, they kept laying more and more backstory on the Freddy Krueger character and he had more of a personality. That's why, you know, growing up, I obviously even liked the Nightmare on, on Elm Street franchise a little bit more than this because it had more depth. But that's why this one is like, a particular Friday the 13th that's like a whole story I and mean, you see that they even wanted to go more Nightmare I think had more depth up to a point yes. I think by the time you get to six and it's all Freddy Krueger riding a broom like the Wicked Witch and Roseanne and Tom Arnold cameos Freddy's dead and, and him, Alice Cooper's in that and too yes, yeah, and he's Freddy's using dad the, isn't Brecken Meyer the dude he yes. kills with the video games and like mm-hmm. once you get to Freddy sitting there with the game controller going great graphics I'm like well I think we've abandoned nuance at this point, which is not <laughs> not to say that there isn't some... Yafatoto is yeah. in Freddy's Dead, which is just the dang strangest thing to me. Um, there's some fun stuff, but yeah, I think we've, we had jettisoned... But uh, then after that was a new nightmare, which was the Meta-Freddy. So like yes. they didn't completely abandon. Like They're like, no, we'll just do the Meta-Freddy movie. <laughs> Something else, too. Like, I don't want to spoil our upcoming yeah. shows, but... but we are going to be talking mm-hmm. about Wes Craven's new nightmare. I think for on our next episode, yes. we're bringing in yeah. we're bringing in uh, our our good friend and and fellow person that exists, <laughs> yes. uh, Dave Child, yeah. to talk about uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. So we'll, there will be a lot of uh, I, I assume a lot of discussion of the nightmare series as a whole when yeah. we get to yeah. that show. I lo- I know it, it's a good one, and and they pair so well because they're both very iconic characters. As opposed to like Michael Myers, which is sort of his own thing. Even though Jason, a lot of people will say that there's some similarities. I feel like they went in different directions. Yeah, Yeah. I think Jason too, far more so than Michael or Freddy, depending on which incarnation you expose yourself to. Uh, Jason at least has the element of like, oh, he lost his mom and he's very sad. Yeah. So there is at least that one little kernel of relatability and something that you can even sympathize with that informs a good deal of what Jason does. Whereas Michael Myers is basically just an abstraction of, of evil in human form, or at least in uh, the shape of a human form. That's why I think we when we were talking about, we were having a similar conversation talking yeah. about Texas Chainsaw, they, were, they credit that character as the shape very frequently. Mm-hmm. Freddy before he became the horribly burned uh, dream murderer he raped and killed kids so homeboy doesn't have a whole lot going on in the way of being sympathetic or relatable and that's why i always consider freddy kind of like carnage from spider-man that's why you know kevin bacon should play both um i could write a whole we could do a whole podcast can you imagine freddy krueger with the symbiote yeah, and that's basically what Carnage is. I mean, bit. he wasn't a child molester, but he was still a serial killer. And that's the thing is like he's already evil incarnate, and then he gets the thing. And it's like Freddy, he's already evil incarnate. And then it's like, all right, you got superpowers. Let's see what's gonna happen here. Bad stuff. <laughs> that's always yeah. bad stuff. Always. <laughs> um, well, do you guys feel like if they had brought, since you brought up the thing about mm. uh, Jason's dad, do you mm. think that would have been a way of them kind of circling back around to kind of developing that character? Or do you think it's better that they kept going in the campier route? I feel like if the intention was to continue churning these out, and of course that was the intention because they could make these pretty cheap and they'd inevitably make their money back. Um, I actually think this one was the first, I may be mistaken on this, but I'm pretty sure this was the first movie in the series not to open at number one. I think it opened at number two behind Aliens, which was in its second or third week of release and still holding really, really strong. Um, But I feel like if you wanted to bring the story full circle and end it, maybe there would be an interesting way to fold the father into the mythology but i feel like if you wanted to keep going i almost find myself agreeing with the studio mentality which is now we're gonna have to make this a part of things going forward and we're gonna have to do a whole lot of legwork to set that up uh and backfill a whole bunch of stuff instead of doing what we're all here to do which is just to have jason kill a bunch of people interesting i I, oh go ahead oh no i was just gonna say like how if we continued the way it went with the next movie, then the dad thing might have worked. 
But once you start seeing eight and nine when they when they sold the new line, it was pretty clear that they were like abandoning all like, you know, nope, he's just gonna murder people. You know, I wouldn't have minded Jason taking Manhattan with his dad. (sighs) That could have been fun. Especially since (laughs) like Jason takes Manhattan, almost no part of this movie takes place in Manhattan. It's mostly on a boat. Oh really? Yes. Is it like a cruise or something? Yes. It's right. Is it a cruise? Like I remember yeah, thinking, yeah, it's like a booze su- cruise. Yeah. is what he what he winds up on, and just like I mean, that's got some of the funniest deaths. Like it has one of the longest death sequence when he's boxing this guy. I highly recommend I watching don't even that. Remember no, that? It's, it's been a long time since I've seen Jason Takes Manhattan. But yeah, he's at, only at the very very end is he even in Manhattan. Mm. So where where does he take it? Oh, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, got he it. Doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Space. He takes it to space. Oh, I figured. But two movies later. Maybe he showed up and it was gone already because the Muppets had taken it. Yeah. Oh, sure. I think those were around the same time. Well, the Muppets, the Muppets shrank it down like the bottle city of Candor. Right. And they put the Muppets are actually really, they're up to some insidious business. (laughs) They shrank all of Manhattan at the, at the end. Like that's what, that's the scene you don't see. The original ending of Muppets take Manhattan is they Mm -hmm. finish the, their show, uh, Manhattan Melodies. Muppets are my shit, you guys. Okay. Uh, they finished Manhattan Melodies, and it was like, yay, and Miss Piggy and Kermit get married, and everybody's cheering, and everybody's super happy. And then uh, Kermit turns out to the audience and is like, ha-ha! And then like they pull a thing down, and Bunsen and Beaker have a big like shrink ray, uh-huh. and they just blast everything around them so that all of Manhattan is now super tiny except the stage that they're sitting on. And then they're about to abscond with... Man, uh, Manhattan in the bottle and Gonzo is going to because Gonzo's an alien as we learned in uh, Muppets from Space of Gonzo course. is going to take Manhattan into space with his Gonzo people mm-hmm. but then Jason swoops in and is like I'm taking Manhattan and takes it <laughs> runs off this is this is official canon you guys yeah yep totally. this, this sounds right yeah um, how many of my chocolates did you eat <laughs> 14 hundred yeah oh that's a lot of chocolate I was like yeah, yeah. I feel very sticky I, I, I feel imagine. like that fueled that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm now obsessed with this dad thing. <laughs> um, and I feel like I feel like it, they could they should have at least given it one movie. I don't I don't feel like it could have taken up like more than one in the franchise, but like he just shows up and he's he introduces the concept of Jason to another area like he heard that there was a murder and then you just kind of like find out where he's been and at some point he like tries to stop jason and gets killed and you're like cool that settles that dad stuff um i just feel like it could have been a thing like you could have just spent all this time with this really dead pete dad dude being like i left for for a week and my son got killed and then i left for another week and my wife got killed i'm on i'm on a spiral i got no more vacations for this guy (laughs) see they should have just made the grave digger his dad soap opera style and like he as he's like killing him with the with the beer bottle and he's like so Speaking, speaking of, by the way, this was something, the death of the uh, grave digger was something that was added later. Apparently, McLaughlin intentionally included 13 kills in the movie as like an inside joke, like a big wink, wink, 13, oh. ha ha. Oh. And the studio actually told him he needed to add more kills. And so I think they upped it to 16. And one of the ones that was added was the grave digger being killed, which ended up being, I think, one of McLaughlin's favorite things in the movie. Also, in my notes, in that sequence, Jason takes his drink and just crushes the bottle. Mm. And in my notes, I put LMAO just breaks the bottle with his hand. (laughs) (laughs) I like that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That makes a lot of sense because I feel like a bunch of these characters were put in there just to get killed so you you have all these weird small vignettes that Jason is essentially just walking through like you imagine there are completely different movies going on yeah. and then Jason just wanders through and murders the protagonists because um, you get this like this lady who is essentially um, she's beating these guys at this game she has these sexist other dudes uh, in the office and this is like the Aaron Brock of her own movie and then Jason walks in and is just like nope slash um, and then you get this other 
couple who are like, oh, man, we just got engaged. Should we have sex in this weird forest? And then Jason's like, yeah, slash. Mm-hmm. Just, and it's so the whole, weird. The whole time yeah. going. <laughs> I, actually, now, now I've decided he laughs like Seth Rogen. Of course. And nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody hears him because they're dead. Yeah. But once they're dead, he's just like. <laughs> as, as we've learned now, it's been confirmed it is canon based on the reboot. Jason is super into weed. Like the yeah. the the reason that kids start getting killed in the reboot is because they start messing with the marijuana plants growing around Crystal Lake. Oh. This and makes like, so much more sense. And Jason's like, "Not my weed." Hey, <laughs> Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, this is your new movie, my turns, idea. Turns their heads into bongs, like. <laughs> That's awesome. I would watch that movie. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> uh, Oh, Jason. And so you're saying when Jason kills a kid in the forest, you can't hear him laugh? (laughs) (laughs) Since it doesn't seem like they know what to do with the series right now, just just release release a sequel to the reboot. So you can call it Friday the 13th Part 2 again. Mm -hmm. You can call it Friday the the 13th Part 2 Jason Tokes. And I will be there. (laughs) Jason Tokes I will buy my advanced (laughs) tickets right now. And in fact, just call it it Friday the 13th Part 2 Jason Tokes. parentheses (laughs) parentheses <laughs> and like that's the new because you know how Jason's whole thing is yeah. that <laughs> so now it's <laughs> yeah I actually already had like and I've been working on a sketch that's a Friday the 13th thing all because I was high watching the bachelorette the one time I actually had to be watch the show because we were eating and it was on <laughs> but yeah like there was a kid who uh, this guy that she was with on the show. I don't really know how The Bachelor works other than roses and stuff. But, like, this guy was one of her kids, and she was a camp counselor. And I was like, hold on. What if it's Friday the 13th, The Final Rose? And, like, so one of the suitors or suitorettes, I don't know which way to go yet, you know, because I don't know whether to be progressive and have it be The Bachelorette or The Bachelor or whatever, you know, but yeah, one of them turns out to be Jason, one of the suitors. Oh, see, I was actually thinking yeah. how if Jason was in the position <clears throat> of The Bachelor, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the design of that show is not totally dissimilar from the structure of slasher movies in that the, there's traditionally the archetype of the final girl. Mm-hmm. And the final girl is the one that gets to end up with The Bachelor. But everyone who doesn't get a rose gets axed. Yeah. Whereas on The Bachelor, they have to leave the show in Friday the 13th. They're super dead. Yeah. But same basic principle applies. Right. They are would, equally unhappy. This would also be a good robot chicken bit. Just please credit me, Seth Green. And now Seth Rogen. No. We've got your we job. We have to write this ourselves and pitch it to Miramax? Uh, no, definitely yeah, not. Definitely not. I'm not me. Um, no, I think I'm, I'm under the impression that New Line still has Yeah, the New Line rights. owns the, the Friday the 13th property. And they still own Nightmare on Elm Street as far as I yep. know. Yeah. All right. Fine. New line. Okay. There you go. Great. There you go. All right. <laughs> I was trying to was shake like, it up. Happening? I was trying to. I was trying to. You know. Oh yeah. Let's go back to those vignettes because I was like, now that you put that, I was like, that that's so funny because it is him going into different stories. Like you have the paintball, you have the couple, and my, one of my favorites was the uh, couple that uh, Tony Goldwyn. Yeah, from, I had yeah. no idea that Tony Goldwyn was in this movie. I've seen this movie a hundred times, but because I don't really watch Scandal and never really put the, you know, hadn't seen this in a while, I'm like. That's the president. Yeah, so he's yeah, so Tony Goldwyn who plays Darren, and Darren is the character that tries to kill Jason oh. by shooting him because he doesn't know what movie he's in. Uh, Tony Goldwyn, in his uh, I believe his first credited film appearance, uh, yep. really interesting dude who's gone on to a, a pretty big career. He's appeared in a ton of different movies. He was in Ghost. He was in Pelican Brief. He was in The Sixth Day, which is the one with Schwarzenegger about clones. Oh, yes. Uh, He was in Last Samurai. He was in Divergent recently. Of course, Scandal, like you said. He is the voice of Disney's Tarzan. Did not know that. Uh, He's done a lot of directing, directed a lot of TV, including Lucretia, three episodes of Justified. Oh, wow. And one thing that maybe the most interesting thing about this guy to me his grandfather, Samuel Goldwyn, is the Goldwyn in Metro Goldwyn Mayor. Interesting. Oh, wow. Uh huh. Mm. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. Lord. Can't spend it, but you could take it to the bank. Ooh. Ooh. Damn. 
And that's the end of our show. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, not going to do better than that today, folks. Um, but yeah, so I was I had no clue that uh, Golden was in this. But there he was. Yeah, and he was a mansplainer before that was a thing. And, you know, I'll tell him who's... And she's like, nope, she's the one that had seen so many horror movies, knew this was a bad idea. Should have <laughs> listened to her. And, and much like, much like, much like many, many, many a mansplainer, his solution was... Let me try and shoot this. <laughs> Let me try and kill this thing with a gun. And we notice, we notice how easily the good guy with the gun myth is dispelled. Well, what I love Can we about- just send this, uh, <laughs> this clip to everyone who gives the good guy with the gun? Yeah. Be like, nope. Nope. So well, then explain this. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about horror movies is like the insane morality that is often there. (laughs) That it's like, oh, well, the the people who don't die are like the good people. The people who are doing the right thing as a rule. The final girl is always the non-slutty girl or, you know, or like, you know, the good hero with the heart of gold. Right. Yeah. So there's always been a moral implication, but this is like, nope, mansplaining ain't good either, buddy. <laughs> mansplaining ain't good either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like this one didn't adhere to those rules as much, with the exception of, I guess, Court uh, when he was banging Nikki and the couple in the uh, forest. But like otherwise, it was pretty much like, if you exist... Jason's gonna get you. Yeah. Which, which I think increasingly becomes the series mo. Yeah. It's at like, a certain yeah, point, it's like you don't really have to be doing anything. Like he's if he's nearby, he's going to kill you. No, right. Just, I, I started thinking, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if Jason killed like a bunch of people at a shopping mall, or like they really no, need to throw him in different anymore. scenes? Not anymore. It would not be. Uh, in no. early two thousands, hilarious. Now, twenty seventeen. No, Lex, wouldn't it be funny, right, if Jason got a gun, oh, right? Oh, we're going, and we're going here. Like, oh. Okay, he's we're going like, here. Oh, going man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust this so it's not semi, but fully automatic, right? And then he goes to, like, a public place. Oh, boy. And then he's like, guys, guns are bad, and puts it down and is like, uh, see you later, and then <laughs> that's it. That's the whole movie. <laughs> I do like the idea that Jason just wants to keep people on their toes. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. But not but not really. <laughs> but, but not, not really. really. That's a line even Jason Voorhees won't cross, folks. Yeah. He looks right in the camera, but you can't tell because you can't see his eyes through that right. mask. Just like, hmm? <laughs> and then freeze frame credits. Right. Well, Jason uses a machete, and it's because Jason is, you know, for gun control. Because every time people shoot him, he just kills him. He is. He's just yeah. like, no, no, exactly. no, I don't yeah. play that. Yeah. I don't play no. that. Guns no. are bad. I mean, doesn't he love in the paintball? He smashes the guy's head in the uh, tree there. Smiley face. You know, we oh. lost See, about 15 listeners in the last yeah. five minutes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> at least. Like, Jason is for gun control. <laughs> like, I mean, at what point do you think that they stopped? Was it yeah. when we were talking, when we, the first time we mentioned gun control, or when I started basically describing this scenario? <laughs> you know, you know, Jason is an unregistered illegal voter. <clears throat> it's true. We got to police that a little more heavily. Yeah, I hear there were at least a hundred. I think it was three thousand Jason Voorhees <laughs> three, that voted 3, in the last election. Electrically reanimated corpses, all weirdly, all in one district. Yes. and they all voted. And we've got to we've got to make sure that we stop digging yeah, these that, folks. We just lost another twenty people. That Camp Crystal Lake district yeah. is definitely guilty of gerrymandering. Heavy gerrymandering <laughs> around Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. Oh boy, nobody's tuning in for this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I will say if you've been listening up till now, I mean, it just it to the show in general. I think you know where we stand politically. Yeah. And you know what? If they if they stuck with us through like set it off and how heavy that conversation became. I feel like they're with us for the whimsical Jason doesn't like guns business. Right. In theory. <laughs> In theory, yes. Can you picture though, like, can you picture, Je- okay, there, have either one, of- <laughs> just go with me on this, have either one of you seen 3,000 Miles to Graceland? Yes. All right. So I love how enthusiastic <laughs> Lucretia was movie. about it. Um, so, uh, uh, Atari, short version, it's basically about uh, a group of casino robbing Elvis impersonators. Okay. And it's led by uh, Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner. And after a heist, but full spoilers for 3,000 Miles to Graceland, folks, that you didn't <laughs> think you were going to get in this episode. Um, uh, 
Uh, Costner basically turns on all of them, kills every member of their crew, tries to kill Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell survives. So the whole thing is basically a struggle between the two of them to escape the law. Uh, uh, try like Kurt Russell's trying to get what he's owed. It, it all builds to a, a really massive, uh, comically over the top shootout in this warehouse where Kevin Costner has enlisted the assistance of Ice T. <laughs> and at a certain point, when the police ambush and all of these bullets are flying, Ice T gets it like on a little harness upside down with like twin Uzis and is basically spinning around on a track as he's like, he's like going through. This is a great film. Upside down, spinning, firing at everybody. Of course, he lasts about two seconds before they kill him. Right. That, but it's Jason. Imagine how terrifying that would be. And then, and then he's spinning and he's going, <laughs> and just, as he just lays waste to the entire place with bullets. I would love this scene, but like at the very end of it, there were like a few kids in this area and you just see like the bullet holes just right around them. Like he's such a crack shot and still refuses to kill a single child. Yeah. <laughs> so they all are just sitting there stark in shock, but like all the bullets just go right around them like a perfect cartoon style silhouette. <laughs> Well, like speaking of 3,000 miles to Graceland and where they were going with um, Freddy versus Jason, like they imply that they would might do an Ash versus Freddy versus Jason because that's another iconic horror character. But like fitting him in as the hero and killing them both, they didn't know how to do that. They did but, eventually do that as a comic book, though, didn't they? I believe so. I think yeah. there is now a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash comic. But what's funny is... 3,000 Miles to Graceland, I thought of Elvis. And what about, if you don't want to use Ash, let's use Bruce Campbell's other horror character from Bubba Hotep, where he is an old man in a nursing home who believes he is Elvis, and he fights a mummy that is eating old people. Well, specifically eating old people's souls Mm -hmm. through their butts. Yep. It is a awesome okay. film it's, from Don Coscarelli, who did the Phantasm yes, franchise. Yes, it's, it's yeah. awesome, and I would be so there for a Freddy vs. Jason versus Elvis movie. Yeah. <laughs> because but it like, has to be the Bubba Hotep. Oh, Elvis. of course, absolutely yeah. has to be. And like, of course, unfortunately, uh, Ossie Davis is no longer with us. This is a weird movie, mm-hmm. Tari. Ossie Davis, are you familiar with Ossie Davis? Yes. Yeah. So Ossie Davis, <laughs> legendary, uh, beloved actor, plays JFK, John F. Kennedy, okay. as an old man, and he insists that. He he really was JFK, and Elvis starts asking him questions like, "But your JFK was white," <laughs> and he goes, "They dyed me this color." Yeah, when, like, when they stashed him there, and apparently he doesn't know any of the government secrets because when they dyed him that color mm-hmm. and stashed him away, they removed all of his brain that had all of the government secrets and replaced it with a bean bag. <laughs> This is a brilliant film. I highly recommend it's, watching it's that for really another great. Franco. Um, but if we, if Ossie Davis was still with us, then we could get a wonderful uh, Elvis JFK team up, and then it's a two on two, and you could just do two hours of them tag team boxing. I'm there for it. All right. Oh, yeah. But now, of course, no Ossie Davis. So I guess two hours of the Freddie and Jason just tag team boxing Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. old man Elvis and played of course, by has Br- to be, Bruce Campbell. Yes. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. We were still we were supposed to we were supposed to get a sequel to that. Yeah, yeah Baba Nosferatu was supposed to happen, but then it just fell through, and Don Coscarelli went back to doing Phantasm Ravenger. And I heard for a minute they were trying to get it like Bruce Campbell walked away from it, and they were trying to do it with Ron Perlman for a minute, and that didn't happen. That would be interesting. I'm, I uh, I would totally yeah. be there for it, but didn't happen, so I wasn't. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, I was like, valuable use of time. Yes. Um, we are stark out of time, broskies. Um, but that's it. We're leaving. I'm gonna start wrapping this. <laughs> there's, puppy there's no up. but. There's no but. Uh, <laughs> except for right here. Insert smack butts. And, and that's where all the souls come out for Bubba Hotel. Yep. Yes. Yep. 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 All the souls in the butt. On the daily. Souls yep. in the butt. Hashtag butt souls. <laughs> you are uh, tuned in to the butt soul program. <laughs> do, 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 do. 
<laughs> Lucretia, thank you for joining us here on Missing Out. Yeah, this was so much fun. And like we'd never had a, a guest, so this is the first time doing it. And I think, I think, I yeah. think we think. did it. No, yeah, we did. I think we really yeah. accomplished it. We sure did. We totally. sure recorded the most impactful hour of content ever to be recorded. Oh, yeah. I and feel like world changes happened. I think so. I mean, we, we talked some big issues like um, butts and... Um, butts and gun control, yep. which, by the way, is Important. the new title of our podcast. Butts and gun control. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Butts and Gun Control, starring Lex Michael, Lucretia Lyon, and Tari J. Miller. I'd listen to that. <laughs> but I subscribe to a lot of podcasts. Um, so where can they find you after this podcast? After this podcast, you can find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. And I am so honored to be your first. Uh, we're honored to have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and also, I'm glad you brought mm-hmm. this movie to us because it uh, provided a, a real good time of talking and yeah. a real good time of viewing. That's it. Lex, do your <laughs> thing. <laughs> Well, after all this, you won't be able to find me because I'm going to have to go into hiding. Because um, he's uh, JFK. But in, yeah. Yes, and they're going to dye me purple. Um, <laughs> what? So, uh, yeah, in the interim, before I mysteriously vanish, you can find me all over social media at the Lex Michael. And you can find me at Tari J. It's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Uh, and you can also, once again, find this podcast on Twitter at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. You can also find us on Stitcher. Yeah, we're on Stitcher now. We're on Stitcher we're now. Real boys. Hell yeah. Uh, and also Google Play Store and also in iTunes. So if you go on iTunes or any of those other mediums and you want to leave us a rating, it would be dope, first of all, because five stars makes us happy. And also, we read them here on this show. We do. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had any, we don't have any updated uh, reviews this week, so we aren't reading them. But get on your game, son, and we will read your shit real good right here, right now, baby. And by right now, I mean the next week when we have reviews. Yeah, this, um, is, not, this is not live? No, it no. is not live. No. Uh, or it is, Devin. I just freaked out some Devin right now. Did you, just, did you just pick that name at random? I did, yes. Wow, all right. It seems um, to pop in people's heads when you're just thinking of names. Maybe yeah. that bit on the Orville. Um, I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Lucretia Lyon. <laughs> yeah. Bye. We have fun here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>